each rose. And then once you complete your cards, you can just drop them in the offering box in the back of the sanctuary. Thanks. Here we go. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> Would you stand with us? Um, I want to read uh, Psalm 62, uh, 5 through 8 this morning. It says, Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. And Father, we thank You that that You are our refuge, that You are our everything. And we just want to lift up Your name now and just, just praise who You are, all You've done, and all You continue to do. Thank You, Father.
Does she know just what we need before we say a word? You're a good, good She called deeper still as she called deeper still as she called deeper still into love 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 you're a good good
Philippians 2.10 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Please be seated. a little like Exodus up here. <laughs> Just watch everyone. One of the lines of that last song was, and all the world will praise his name. And all the world will praise his name. It is our desire as a church to reconcile all people to Christ here in Muncie, uh, at the university and to the ends of the earth. And the great thing about the... Um, idea of reconciling all people is that we get to play a part in God's plan for the world and his plan for individuals' lives. So um, I have a couple of people here. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. And then we're going to talk a little bit about ways that they have been involved in a special program through Ball State um, with our church and um, the ways that they've been able to kind of get in on that kind of action. I'm James Bright and my wife, Brittany Bright. Uh, the missions moment for this month focuses on Ball State University's Friendship Family Program. The Rinker Center for International Students uh, partners up international students with local families and singles. And the goal is that we learn about and experience um, other cultures and that those people who are involved, the international students who are involved in the program, experience a little bit of American culture outside of the Ball State University campus. So um, you guys have been involved in the program and um, we're just going to hear a little bit more about what your experience was. Have you, before this, did you have like a broad array of international experiences? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> that was not really your experience. Not world travelers? No. Okay. So it's not necessary to know a lot about the rest of the world in order to be involved. Right. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about who you were matched with. Okay, sorry, I'm really short. Um, our friendship family um, is Fatima and Aziz, and they are actually from Saudi Arabia. So. Do you feel like um, the program has kind of given you an opportunity to get to know them and a little bit about their culture? Absolutely. We have grown culturally a lot <laughs> over the last few months. Not just you or you, but kind of the whole family has yes. been able to be involved. Yes. Tell us about some of the things that you've done together. We have, we went to the zoo. Yeah. We went to the Indianapolis, or the Indianapolis Zoo. Um, we went and seen Christmas lights together. Um, they came to our house and celebrated Thanksgiving with us. They came to Abby's birthday party. So we, we try to include them in really all of our, our family functions. Kind of just an extended part of your family. Yes. Um, and one of the goals of the program, again, is, is to kind of have the opportunity to share a little bit about yourselves and your family 
American culture as it's seen kind of in, in your household. Um, have you learned anything about their culture as a result of the time that you've been able to spend together? We've learned a lot yeah. about their culture. Um, we made this really bad mistake of Googling Saudi Arabia before they came over so we would have some information. Do not find all of your information on the wrong. internet. <laughs> it was all wrong. Google is not the answer. Um, so we've actually learned, I mean, from about their food, about um, the different culture differences within Saudi Arabia, um, just regionally, things that they do differently. Um, we've learned about, I mean, really just everything um, about what they do, why they do it, about their family. Um, I mean, there's just such a huge variety of things that we've learned from them. So they've been pretty open to share with you about why they do some of the yes. things that they do and, and how they celebrate or, or things that they observe. Uh, were there any surprises for you along the way? Anything that you didn't expect to have happen and, oh, wow, I didn't see this coming? Um, well... Um, they're Islamic, and I was really shocked by the fact how close Islam is to Christianity. There are differences, but as far as like Moses and Abraham, like they're in the Quran, and I didn't think that it would even be remotely close. Um, so I was, I was kind of, I was kind of taken back by that because I was like, oh wait, and and so that was definitely a new experience to hear kind of their version from the Quran. So you kind of have been able to hear a little bit about, and, and we definitely, the, the two religions share a, a lot of background as far as, as the Old Testament is yes, concerned. Yes. Um, any other surprises along the way? I know that you've had the opportunity, like you said, to be out with them in a variety of situations and circumstances. Um, has it all been really positive? Uh, not so much. Um, when we went to the zoo, we got a lot of snares and looks and um, just Americans looking at us like we were crazy for being with them and um, just the things that are going on in the world right now um, really play a big part in our friendship family because when we go out, people are snickering and you know making comments under their breath and, and just being very negative um, and so it's not all been a positive experience but it has been for us because getting to put the shoes on of someone else um, has really been a blessing from God um, just because we've been able to really see what it's like to live in their life and not be those people and really not pass that judgment like we had done in the past so it's kind of been a learning experience for you guys as, as well as for them to learn a little bit about American culture and about your family and, and what's important to you. One of the things that um, Matt considers and holds as a value is to be, for us to be able to tell our story um, to other people. Do you feel like you've had some opportunity to share a little bit of your own story, your own walk with Christ, um, kind of your own uh, background as far as religion is concerned, as, as they've kind of had the opportunity to share with you? Yeah. Um, I mean, they ask us questions. Um, and, and we always kind of just stick with what Scripture says and, and try to lead them that way. Um, but they've asked questions, and they pray with us when we pray before we eat and things. Um, they don't call him Allah in front of us. They call him God. 
Um, and so they partake in the Christian activities that we would take. When we go see the nativity scenes, they were asking about, you know, um, Jesus and, and what was so significant about the holiday. And so they have been very receptive, I think, of trying to get a better understanding of, of what Christianity is. For people out there who are thinking, you know what, maybe I, maybe we should do this. Maybe this is a thing that we want to give it a try. Or maybe for some people out there who, who probably were like you at one time who said, I really don't know that I want to have anything to do with this. What kinds of things would you say to them? She was all for it and I wasn't. And <laughs> I'm extremely glad we went and, and went ahead and done it. Um, it's, it's been a very eye-opening experience. So I would say go for it. Even if you don't want to do it, I'd still do it. Yeah, I think that taking that leap of faith um, and just trusting that that God has that plan, um, the things that you learn about yourself as a Christian um, that you really didn't know were in your heart start to change. Um, And, you know, a year ago we would have never invited them into our house. And, And God led us to do this. And we have such a better understanding and... We just really have embraced that there is a bigger world out there than us. And, you know, we just felt very led to do this. And I don't know that we will save them or that they will come to know Jesus. But I do know that we will give them the opportunity through us by leading that life. Um, So I think that everybody should have a friendship family just because it's such a great... They're the kindest people... It's so fun. They have taught us so much. They cook for us. And, and so it's just a really great experience as a family, um, especially since we have small children, for them to know culturally what else is out there. At five years old, you think that, you know, Muncie is it. And to be able to, ex- to share with them, you know, the cultural experience, the kids have loved it. They've learned so much. And... I think they'll be better off ahead of us than where we were as adults just from that experience. So whether it's right here in Muncie, the university, or around the world, it's a great opportunity to be able to have the world come to us and share what we have to share with them in that way. Awesome. Great opportunity. Um, You still can contact Ball State University on the website. The Rinker International uh, Center for Students is, um, is up and running they are willing to take families still and if you are interested or think wow maybe this is something that our family could do definitely contact them the local person here um, Scott Zick is um, the person here at the church if you'd like to talk to him more Um, lots of families have taken in um, friendship families through the university you can talk to any one of those people as well and they would be happy to give you sort of their take on what uh, things have been like for them. Great opportunity. Another great opportunity for youth is coming up on the video next. Thank you guys. Hey, I want to invite you to join us for the Life Conference in 2016 in Kansas City, Missouri. Life Conference was meaningful to me as a youth leader because I got to see genuine community being built with the students that came with me. Whether it was from the travel days to the debriefing sessions at the end of the day, I saw them come together in a way that went beyond the youth room walls. I got to see them walk into a room of 6,000 people and be empowered to see that they're not alone in their faith. 
and that kind of community was brought back with us home. That was something that was so encouraging to me as a youth leader, just to see that Life Conference did actually impact our day-to-day -day in the youth room. The Life Conference is an event created for the whole Alliance family. That means if you are a high school ministry within any of our geographic or intercultural districts, then this is your conference. One of the biggest impacts that happened to my students was on the service day. It was really cold. Uh, there was a group of girls that uh, were just wearing shorts and t-shirts and they were, were going out and weren't very happy um, just about to, to serve and be cold and they got to the uh, uh, area that they were going to be serving in, found out that they were going to be pulling out bushes and weeds and they started getting cut up um, and they just weren't happy. But the moment that made the biggest difference was when the woman who they were serving, uh, she came out and she saw all, all the stuff they were doing. She was almost in tears. Um, and that was the moment these girls realized that the service day wasn't about them. The theme of Life 2016, which is Momentum, is designed to help students understand how the various moments of their lives connect with the greater story that God has been telling for generations. I really hope that we'll see you in Kansas City. Life Conference uh, is a phenomenal event that the Christian Missionary Alliance put on for our senior hires. It is an alliance event. I have uh, been on the executive team that helps plan the event for the last six events, which dates back to 1998 when we were in Salt Lake City. And uh, we are hoping to get a, a group from our church, our teens, uh, together and, uh, and send them. Uh, to this event. It's uh, a week long. Uh, nationally known speakers, Francis Chan will be there on the main stage as well as doing a seminar. Um, uh, President uh, Stumbo of the Alliance is going to be there on main stage as well as doing seminars and we're still in uh, lining up bands and everything else. You saw last uh, in 2013 when we were in St. Louis, uh, Lecrae uh, was the concert the first night and led seminars the next day and and uh, it's just a phenomenal time for, for the youth to come together. So be praying for that. Um, if you have a senior hire who is between the ages of 13 18, which I think right now is 8th grade through a senior in high school, um, consider sending them. There's some more information in your bulletin on the insert. And if you have any questions, by all means, ask me. Um, and uh, I will make up an answer if I don't know one. Uh, we'll come up with something. So, uh, but it is a great event. Be praying for that. Um, it's uh, roughly nine hundred dollars uh, per student to go. So there is some cost involved, and we'll have to do some fundraising and things like that, so we can uh, be in prayer uh, for that. A uh, lot of things that we can be praying for uh, this morning. I know there's a lot of sickness going around, um, and uh, every house I think is is being hit by that. Uh, Ann Evans is up in Duluth, Minnesota, right now with her father, who is health is failing, and uh, they're trying to make uh, end of life decisions, and so uh, we need to be praying for them. Uh, I just wonder, by a show of hands, who has a request right now, just a need? I'm not going to ask you to share it. Just uh, God's going to see the hand he's going to know what the request is and we're going to lift them up very good father thank you for a god who hears us a god who listens that you delight in the prayers of your people and so father we do uh, lift up <clears throat> 
this morning. We, we come and we just we seek your face, your guidance, your direction uh, for this, these friendship families. Lord, I thank you for those from our church that have already formed those relationships and formed those friendships that will go far beyond uh, the time that the students are here. Uh, Lord, we just pray for opportunities for them to share, to tell their story, to share your grace. Father, if there's those here that you would desire in this next semester, would you just encourage them, tap them on the shoulder, if you will, and and give them the heart to reach out, the courage to to say yes to becoming a a friend uh, of an overseas international student. Father, we we pray for the Life Conference and for our own students, for the other 6,000 plus that that we're praying will, will be in attendance. Lord, for all of the the details for the fundraising that will need to take place. And Lord, we just know that you are in this every event. You show up. Father, we pray that you show up in the preparation. uh, That you touch the lives of of students to go. That you, you encourage them to go. That you provide the way for them to go. Father, thank you for touching our lives, for being involved in our life. Lord, we lift these prayer requests all over this, this sanctuary to you this morning. And those needs that, that people have come with, the burdens that they have, have brought today. Lord, uh, help us. Give us the courage to just leave them here. To lay them at your feet, knowing that you are already at work in the solution and the answer that you are already providing. Because you are a good, good Father. And Father, you love us with an unconditional love that reaches into our darkest places, that, Father, lifts us from the deepest hurts, Father, that heals us, that transforms us, that gives us new life, that gives us meaning and purpose Direction that Father gives us energy, gives us excitement to go into a world and share your story, to share your love. Father, develop that love within us for a world that so desperately needs you. Father, you have given us the answer, you have provided us with peace, with hope with joy. Father, give us the courage to share it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week I shared a few interesting stories that came from the Darwin Awards. Um, I didn't get any feedback from that other than Chaz wondered where in the world I was going with that. Um, The Darwin Awards are, are those awards given to people who do really stupid things and end up dying because of it. Um, And we asked the question, I said, in all of that, because they're all sad stories, I said, you know, where were their friends? Where was the voice of reason telling them this is not a good idea, don't do this, you're just going to wind up in trouble or dead? (laughs) And, And then that we need to be that voice of reason, because we do have answers, we do have truth, we do have hope. But as I was thinking back over the sermon last week in preparation for this week, I wondered what was it that motivated those people to do that that won them the Darwin Award? What was it they were hoping for? 
What were they, what were they desiring to accomplish through that ridiculous task? I, I, what, what motivates all of us? Because then I began to think, well, what motivates me to do the things I do? Have you ever wondered what motivates you? What, what pushes you? What, what, is, what is energizing you? Because motivation is important to our everyday lives. It's, it's achieving the things that we think we should, or it's avoiding the things that we think we shouldn't be doing. It's that motivation to do. It's that, that motivation to accomplish. It's why we get up in the morning, or sometimes motivation is why we don't get up in the morning. Nobody lacks motivation. The question is not motivation. The question is, what are we motivated toward? Some of us motivated very much to get out of bed. Some of us motivated very much to stay in bed. What, what is it that's motivating us? What motivated me to, or you to, to get the career or the job that you currently have? What motivated you to do uh, what you do? What motivated you to marry the person you married? What motivates you to raise your children the way you raise them? Because parents have different values that, that motivate us all differently to raise our kids the way we do. I began asking, what affects our motivation? Can we change motivation? Can we encourage motivation? And I got to thinking, you know what? Goals are motivating. We were going around the table yesterday morning at the men's breakfast and, and Joe said, you know, let's just kind of look back over 2015. What, what has, you know, has it been a good year? How did God move? What did He do? And, and as we look forward, and, and several shared, you know, I've got goals, personal goals for this next year and I've got professional goals for this next year. And I thought, you know what, those people, are, those guys are going to be motivated to accomplish those goals. They've got that out there. They've got something in front of them that they're wanting to achieve. People around us motivate us. Good and bad. Peer pressure is a motivation. It's a a motivation to fit in. It's a motivation to belong. a, A desire to be liked. And so we're motivated by what our peers think and the, and the pressure that they apply for us to be a certain way or do a certain thing. Motivation is defined, to be the textbook definition, it is the psychological forces, okay, that's interesting, that it's the psychological forces that determine the direction of people's behavior, their level of effort, and level of persistence. So it's the motivation is those psychological the forces that, that push us into a direction, into a certain behavior, that give us the, the how much effort we're going to put into it, and how persistent we're going to be when we hit roadblocks and obstacles. Because if we're highly motivated, we're going to put a lot of effort into it, and nothing's going to stop us. If we're not so motivated, it's not going to take a whole lot to, yeah, I'm done. I quit, you know. I've had breakfast, this day is over. You know, if we're not motivated to get going, if something is not driving us, is not energizing us. Now, when I went through my master's program, motivation was one of the, the courses that we took. And in that, we identified two types of motivation. Extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation. How many of you understand those terms and know what they are? 
Okay, about half of us preaching to the choir. That's good. Extrinsic motivation comes from outside of us. Extrinsic, exterior, ex out. Okay? It's the it's the consequence that comes from doing or not doing a particular thing. Okay, there's there's something positive to be gained, a paycheck. Okay? What motivates me to go to work? I get a paycheck every other week. Okay, maybe that's the motivation. Maybe that's the only motivation you have to go to work, is that you're going to get a paycheck. That's an extrinsic, it's outside. Because if that paycheck is is removed, how many of you are going to work for nothing? Probably not too many of us would continue showing up if we knew we weren't going to get paid. So that's an extrinsic, it's an outside of us motivation. Um, Maybe it's recognition or power or prestige, something that is given to us. There's something negative to be avoided, that's extrinsic. Okay? Being fired. I show up for work, so I'm not fired. Okay? If I don't show up for work for three, four, five days, there's a chance work's not going to be there anymore. So I get out of bed and go to work so I can get a paycheck so I'm not fired. I want to avoid punishment. Okay? I'm going to do this so that I am not punished. So that the, the bad consequences don't come. That's extrinsic. It's outside of us. Intrinsic motivation comes from within. It's when we do something because the act itself brings us pleasure. Now maybe there are a few of you that would go to work for at least a few days or maybe weeks if you weren't paid just because you love what you do. It's motivation enough to, do, to see the results of what you do. You're not in it for the pay. Many times both extrinsic and intrinsic rewards motivate our action. But they say that it's the intrinsic rewards, those inner rewards, are the most important for maintaining motivation over the long term. Because if we're just doing something to get something, eventually we're going to get tired of doing it. Because the the what we're getting is no longer the reward. It's not a big enough reward. The paycheck's not big enough anymore. And I just don't find joy in it. It's the joy that we want. That's the intrinsic reward. That's the intrinsic motivation is that, that love for doing it, the reward for doing it. In the business world, You want to hire the person that is most driven by the intrinsic motivation. They're not in it for the paycheck. They're in it for just the sheer joy of doing whatever it is they're doing. Teachers. There are some teachers that are in it just because they love to teach. That's the intrinsic motivation. The the pay's not going to matter, maybe. I mean, there, there, there comes a point. But what really drives them every day to get into the classroom is their love for the kids and their love to teach. And that's what does it. For me, it's, it's preaching and teaching and sharing the Word. That's why I love to do this. That's why I love I, I, that, that God has called me and gifted me in this area. And, and Sarah will tell you that for the longest time, I didn't even know what I made. It wasn't even a part of the negotiation when I took a, went on staff at a church. Until we had kids and they started growing up and the, and the expenses gathered, Sarah said, you know, we probably need to check what we're actually going to make on this move. Because I, I just do it. Because I just love to do it. 
And, and so we want to find that, that thing in us that, that energizes us. What is it that drives us? That we just find satisfaction in just doing the job. It keeps us going. In the rough times, it doesn't matter how rough it gets. It's what we love to do. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. It doesn't matter what obstacle is before us. It's just what we love to do. Which brings us to Galatians chapter 5. For the Christian, I ask you, what is the internal force that's going to energize you towards the activities, towards the, the tasks, towards the goals that are necessary to live a Christian life? What is it that drives you? What is it that energizes you? In Galatians chapter 5, we said that Paul is beginning to, to outline the practical. He spent four chapters of his letter, the first part of his letter, talking about the doctrine. Talking about salvation is, is by faith alone, not by works. That there's a freedom that comes to us through Christ. That he, he has come to give us this freedom. A freedom from sin. A freedom from the power of sin. And, and give us a freedom to, to live the way we ought to live. And now Paul's going to get, in the last two chapters, he's going to get incredibly practical and say, here's how then to live. Here's how that freedom begins to live itself out. And he talks right here in the very first part of chapter 5 about what should motivate us. Why we should get up in the morning. Why we should do the things that we do. Why we do anything as believers. Galatians chapter 5, he says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated then to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Those last two verses, 5 and 6, kind of wrap up, summarize his entire letter. And back in chapter 2 we first saw this word freedom. Paul first used it in, in chapter 2. And, and as we were looking at it back in October, we defined freedom this way. Freedom is the ability to live the way you were designed to live. Do you remember that? Just shake your head yes and humor me. It motivates me to keep doing this week in and week out when I think you're actually listening. It's the extrinsic reward I get <laughs> standing up here. Freedom is the ability to live the way you were designed to live. That God designed you to live in His image. God designed you to live. God designed you to do things. He equipped you. He's, he's trained you. He's given you abilities and gifts and personality and life experiences and talents. And, and He says, I've designed you and wired you for this thing. For, to do this. To be like this. And sin wiped all of that away. That we then became a captive to sin. And that sin became our master. And in the Old Testament they thought that just by obeying the law we could break those chains of sin. And Paul said, no, it was never intended to be that way. The law was only to point us to Christ who will then bring us the freedom. 
who will break the chains of sin, who will break the power of sin in our life and enable us to live the way we were designed to live. That's freedom. To live the way you ought. Not a license to do whatever you want, but the freedom to do what you ought to do. And that's where motivation comes in. Are we motivated to do what we ought? And what is it that motivates us to do what we ought? So the motivation for living the Christian life day to day does not lie in the long-term rewards. Those are given to us. We do have extrinsic rewards, extrinsic motivation for coming to Christ. God has already provided those for us. For placing our faith in Christ, we have already been given the paycheck, if you will. It's secured. Direct deposit, if you like that. It's in our account. Jesus' righteousness has replaced our sinfulness in our account. It's already done. That reward is already there. So getting up tomorrow morning and going to work being a Christian and doing it for the long-term reward, waste of time, it's already there. We're not doing it to gain that reward. We gain that reward the minute we put our faith in Christ and accepted His forgiveness. The extrinsic is already there. Those rewards, those consequences that, 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 that lie outside of us has already been made possible by Christ. Guaranteed through the Holy Spirit. We've been given freedom from God's wrath. We've been given freedom from sin. We've been given freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from hostility with God. Freedom from separation with God. That now we are, we learned a couple weeks ago, part of the family of God. We've been adopted as, as sons and daughters of God. That's already done. Not going to get any more of that. We're already there. So what motivates us then for the day to day? What drives us? What should drive us? What should be the reason for doing what we do as believers? Verses 5 and 6. Paul says, being circumcised or not being circumcised has no value. Whether you obey that law or not obey that law, that has no value. that's That's not what motivates us. Following the law can no longer motivate us. We've been set free from that. Anytime we try and add something to what Christ did on the cross, otherwise I I place my faith in Christ and now I have to go to church every week in order to maintain my extrinsic rewards, my salvation. Anytime we add something to when we say we have to do this in order to maintain what's already been done for us, then we make Christ insufficient. Faith says... Christ is sufficient. Grace says that Christ has already done it all. Faith says that I I can take all of that and I know that if I went and was able to go online and check my spiritual account, it would be paid in full. Because Christ paid it. And there's nothing more I can do to add to that. And if I try to add to that, then I make Christ insufficient. And then Paul says, now you've got to obey the whole law. You've got to go back to doing it the way we used to do it. Before Christ died. Try to do it all perfect. And then you're going to go back in, you're going to look, and now your account's going to be in the red. 
because we don't have the ability to do that. So Paul says, adding things isn't the motivation. That's not what we need. Where my freedom lies is where my motivation lies. If my freedom comes from the law, if my freedom comes from works, if my salvation comes from works, then my motivation is going to be make a checklist and make sure I do everything on that checklist perfectly. But if my freedom lies in faith, the leading of the Holy Spirit is my motivation. It lies in the things of the Spirit, not in the, in the things of the law. The motivation behind my faith, Paul says in verse 6, is love. That circumcision, uncircumcision, has absolutely no value. It adds nothing. But faith that expresses itself through love. Faith that is motivated. Faith that it shows itself through love. And so love is behind every action. That has to be my motivation every morning when I get up. It's because of love. That I have acts of love to perform. That I have things of love. That I have people that, that need to be loved. And so my motivation for going to work is not a paycheck. It's so that I can love the people that I work with. Hard as that may be sometimes. I tell you, in the office it's rough some days. I have to go out and referee Grant and Becky all the time. Back to your corners. No, not really. Not every day. <laughs> but when we get up, it has to be love that drives us to work. It has to be love that motivates us to spend time with family, to do the things that we need to do, to build those relationships with people. Because what matters, the only thing that has value in our life is faith that expresses itself through love. Going to church doesn't add anything may help. Reading your Bible is great, but it doesn't add to your account. That's already paid in full. Love should be my motivation in everything I do. Love should be the thing that drives me. It energizes us in every area. Now we've, we've found and we've said over the last... Uh, a few weeks as we've walked through Acts and Galatians that, that all of the law and circumcision came from the law and Paul said, you know, if you want to obey the law let's just boil it all down to two things. What are the two things? That the law can be boiled down into love God, love people. Wow, love comes right back into that. Love has to be our motivation. That we are motivated by a love for God. But it is our love for God that motivates me every day to get up and do something. To get up and be something. To get up and accomplish something. It's the love of God that has to propel me into that. Because nothing else has any value to it. My day-to-day -day obedience is found not in a checklist to keep my account full. My day-to-day -day obedience is found in my love for God. Because I love Him. That's why I do what I do. And if we find ourselves doing it for any other reason, then, then, then we're going to get frustrated at some point when an obstacle comes up. When we hit a hardship. When we hit a struggle. When we hit a prayer that's not answered. 
It's interesting, as I was thinking through the application of this, I'm drawn back to our five little words. Hopefully by now you're, you're starting to know them. When, when you hear them, you're not going, what is he talking about? They're on the front of your bulletin. Do you understand that love is the motivation behind every one of those words? And, and, and each of those words is we're either loving God in that word or we're loving people in that word. That when we say that we, when we talk about being motivated to grow in intimacy with Christ, that's our motivation to love God. Because we love God, we just want to know Him. We want to know Him better. We want to have a deeper relationship with Him. We talk about the spiritual disciplines. And now we find that what motivates us into these activities is a love for God. That the, the spiritual disciplines, they, they find their energy in, in our love for God. Because we love God, we want to know Him deeper and the spiritual disciplines are going to get us there. And so because of my love for God, I'm going to enter into times of prayer. Jesus warns about trying to look and sound spiritual in your prayers. He said, that's of no value to you. Sounding spiritual should not be your motivation for praying. Sounding spiritual to say, yes, every day I spend four hours a day in prayer. That can't be your motivation is to sound good. Your motivation is because I love God. I want to be with Him. And prayer gets me into His presence. That's my motivation. Fasting. The Pharisees would make themselves look sickly to appear that the the fast was really taking a toll on them. They would would put ashes on their face and make themselves look gone. They would walk, you know, like, oh, this fast is horrible. How long have you been on since this morning? Again, that's not what drives us to fasting. That's what not drives us to that spiritual discipline is so that we look spiritual and sound spiritual to people when we tell them, no, we're not eating today. I'm fasting because I'm spiritual. God says that discipline has no value to you anymore. Don't even do it. But we fast because we're connecting. We understand that fasting connects us with God and we love God and we want to be connected. We want to go deeper in our relationship. And so we take on these spiritual disciplines. Worship. Worship is a spiritual discipline because it, it, it connects us. It helps us to grow in intimacy with God when we come together corporately. But if we come unprepared, if we haven't prepared, if we haven't individually worshipped before we get here to corporately worship, then corporate worship is going to have little or no value to you. Because we haven't come in prepared to worship. So we need to take the mornings and prepare ourselves before we ever get here. Why? Because we love God. And we want to gain the most out of, of our time spent with Him. We come ready to meet. It's not just what we do on Sunday morning. All of the disciplines, solitude, submission, community, being together corporately, it's out of a love for God that motivates us to do them. And we need to check our own motivation. Because I can't. I mean, it's tough to judge a person's motive, right? I mean, that's hard to do. I know why you're doing that. I can't do that. But the Holy Spirit knows. God knows. And you know. And so if we truly want to grow in our intimacy, then what's going to motivate us to do that is, is love for God. 
The last word of our five little words is motivated to steward our lives. Out of a love for for God, we acknowledge that nothing we have is ours. I don't own anything. I don't own a house. I don't own a car. And it's not just because I'm making payments on them. They're not mine. My stuff's not my stuff. It's God's stuff. My time is not my time. It's God's time. My talents, my abilities are not mine. They're God's. He gave them to me. He he enables me to do things. And it's out of a love for Him and an acknowledge that they're all His that I just simply manage what He has entrusted to me. I'm a steward. He has given me 24 hours a day. What I do with it is either motivated out of selfishness or motivated out of the love for God. He's given me talents and abilities and what I do with them is either motivated out of selfishness or out of the love for Him. That He can get the biggest reward, that He can get the biggest return on those 24 hours. That He can get the biggest return on the abilities that He's entrusted me with. And our treasure, our money. It's not mine. Sarah's. (laughs) I got an amen. Finally, I now got an amen. It's not hers either, and she knows it. It's not ours. I I always worry when when husbands and wives, when newlyweds are coming together and we we talk about financing and premarital counseling and and they say, well, we're just going to maintain two separate accounts. No, don't. Because it's not yours and it's not, it's not his and it's not hers. It's his. Amen. Put it all together. It's easier to manage. Because it's not yours. You're a steward. He's provided it. And it's out of a love that we spend it. Motivated by a love. If I'm spending money motivated out of pure selfishness. If it's not going towards building the kingdom, if it's not going towards supplying needs for for family and and others, because God provides what He provides, not just for me, but that I might be able to share it. We, We learn that all through Acts. God has entrusted to us stuff, material things, and He has an expectation that those resources are going to do something to build the kingdom or He wouldn't have given them to us. The implication is that as God's stewards are faithful, and we learn this through Acts, His church will always have enough to carry out the work of the kingdom that they're called to do. Because God provides. It's not me. It's not you. We're just managers of what God has given us. And our motivation behind stewarding our lives is because we love God. We love the, we love the boss. And, and we want to give the biggest reward, the biggest return on His investment in us. And so we steward our time, we steward our talents, we steward our treasures so that we can give back to Him a return. Motivated to love God. Through growing in intimacy, through stewarding our lives. But the second part of that, the law is also wrapped up in that we're motivated to love people. That 
My moment-by-moment obedience is, is found in my love of people. That's why I'm motivated to live out the fruit of the Spirit in every relationship. Growing in intimacy with Christ, living out the fruit of the Spirit in all relationships. What motivates me to do that fruit of the Spirit is, is a love for people. This fruit that's to, to be so evident in our lives is, is listed for us later in chapter 5. And we're going to get to it in a couple weeks. And so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it this morning. Because we'll begin picking through all the fruit when we get there. But love in the list is the first fruit listed. Because if we don't have love, the rest of the fruit's not showing up. The fruit has to motivate, uh, love has to motivate all of the other fruit. Love. Joy. In my relationships, am I a source of joy? Or do I bring sadness to a relationship? Not that I, I always share up, up, upbeat things and I don't ever bring bad news, but, but is there an underlying joy in who I am because of my motivation to love God and love people? In my heartache to relationships? Do I bring peace? Do I bring a calming effect? Or do I bring chaos into a relationship? Patience or demanding? Kindness or am I indifferent? Because you know the opposite of love is not hate. It's apathy. I just don't care. I would rather you hate something and show a little passion for hating it than I would that you just didn't care. The opposite of love is indifference. And so, am I, am I kind am I, or am I indifferent? Do I just not care? Is, is, do I bring goodness or a meanness? An immorality, an imperfection? Do I bring faithfulness or disloyalty? Can people count on me or is my life just so inconsistent that <laughs> I might be there, I might not, I might be able to, I might not, I don't know. You know what that tells me? You're not managing your time very well, so you're not stewarding your lives because you're not being motivated by the love of God to do that. When we're inconsistent, we're not stewarding our lives, we're not managing well what God has given us. And so there, there is a faithfulness that has to be present in all of our relationships and it's, it's what motivates us to do that is a love for people. A gentleness. Self-control. Or is there absolutely no filter on your tongue and actions? Idea comes into your head, it's got to come out your mouth. No. Put that control filter somewhere in the back of your throat and catch the stuff that's not supposed to come out. Because I love people, I'm going to bring these attributes of the Spirit, these fruits of the Spirit, into every late relationship. Because people need that. I need love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, something in self-control. <laughs> Faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's always a danger to run through a list. I need that in my life. And so what motivates me is that out of a love for people, I'm going to bring that to them. And hopefully, they're going to bring that to me. You're going to bring it to me. I'm going to bring it to you. 
I'm also motivated to serve. Because I love people, I'm motivated to serve. I'm going to use my spiritual gift. Serve people in the church, serve people outside the church. This goes with stewarding our lives, the talents that we have. That we have to manage our time, we have to manage our money so that we are able to serve. We need to pick up a ministry. Every member of minister is not just a cute saying for churches. It's truth. God's given you the ability to serve in an area. To pick up a ministry. What ministry do I have? Where where am I jumping in? Where am I helping? Where is a hole that I can fill the gap? Because I love people and I just want to serve. It motivates me to serve the church. It motivates me to serve outside the church. Where can I get involved in people's lives and serve them? Bring them the talents and the abilities that God has entrusted me to. If you could do anything for the kingdom, what would it be? Anything. Where is love needed? A love that drives you. That energizes you to get involved. To not sit on the sidelines. Motivated to love people motivates me to tell my grace story. Because lost people matter to God. They better matter to us. That's why we do friendship family. God has brought us people onto our doorstep and had a a secular institution develop a plan that enables us to spend time with those lost people doing fun things building relationship why? because we love people because I love lost people I'll seek every opportunity to share my grace story with them Peter says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to tell that story. Always be ready to speak into a person's life with the truth. Love really is what has to lie beneath everything a believer does in their life. Love has to be our motivation. Motivated to love God so we grow intimately with... We're growing in intimacy with... Christ. We're stewarding our lives. Uh, The love that motivates us to to love people. And so we we tell our grace stories and we we seek ways to serve through our spiritual gift and, and we live out the fruit of the Spirit in those relationships. This is what freedom looks like in Christ. This is the ability to live the way we ought to live. Motivated by love. If anything else is motivating us, we've got to check it. We've got to bring it before the Lord and say, is this right? Am I doing these things for the right reason? Am I truly in this action or in this thought loving you and loving people? Because if I'm not, I've got to ask, what is my motivation? And if it's selfish, I need to get rid of it. I may need to get rid of the action altogether. The thought altogether. I may need to cool off the relationship if it's peer pressure in a wrong direction that's leading me in a, down a wrong road. Circumcision and uncircumcision value nothing. 
add no value to our account before Christ. He's already paid it in full. We can't add to it. But what does value, what does matter, what does motivate is a faith that is expressed through love. Father, this morning, we acknowledge that we love you. And that, Father, we know that that's an imperfect love so many times. And, Father, we acknowledge that we love people, at least most people. And we know that even in that, it's an imperfect love. So, Father, we just pray that you will begin to perfect us. Continue to transform us. Father, those inner rewards, that inner motivation transforms, changes us. Father, this morning, change us. Continue that transformational work of your Holy Spirit. Check our hearts. Check our minds this morning, Father. Allow us to leave here different than when we came in, that we we are more motivated by love and not selfish ambition or gain or fear. Father, we know that perfect love casts out fear. That your love is a perfect motivator. Develop that within us. In Christ's name, who gives us the freedom to live the way we ought. Amen.
the battle of our time, of our time now. We can't afford not to cry, not to cry out. Shake the earth from the ground, from the ground now. And rescue souls from the darkness around. This is the battle of our time, of our time now. We can't afford not to cry, not to cry out. Shake the earth from the ground, from the ground now. And rescue souls from the darkness So come let it, come let it, come let it, come let it shine. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again. But are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Go out, love God, love people. It's that simple.